Cheers, guys. Cheers. To Liam, Liam. joining us on the podcast for the Liam first time. K. Thompson. Yeah. A wonderful, brilliant associate with Newberger and Partners, who's going to join us tonight to talk about some very interesting topics. He specializes in trials and appeals, and is really smart. Right. So, what's so, our what's our thing here? What and why are we talking about it? So, let me talk for a second, then I'm going to turn it over to you guys. So we got actually interestingly, and and first of all, I want to thank our viewers. And if you're watching our podcast and you actually enjoy it, can you like, subscribe, and share? Hit notifications. There you go. But and I finally got that right for once. But we received a number of questions, and I I can't thank everybody enough for this, to talk about false confessions, its impact on the trial process, and really what's the rules, as they called it, but the law around police interviews and confessions and how is it admissible in a trial. So we thought we'd revisit right, so it. We did an episode on false confessions. And yeah. so, so then when you get to the core of it is how does that happen? We talked a little bit about it before, but there's it's really kind of interesting when you look at what the police are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do and, and, and how sometimes they're allowed to do it, but then does it cross a line, mm-hmm. right? And also I think there's a, a bit of, misunderstanding of what happens most people don't get arrested in the first place or charged with with things but what you see in the in the movies you know you can't handle the truth like all, all this really dramatic stuff is like the way actual interviews go down is quite different and there's different techniques and so on and well do you watch any of these crime dramas oh yeah loads my uh you do well my, well you're the I first so lawyer don't. i've met i love watching like crime dramas but most lawyers don't it, it, it's more it's more <laughs> that my partner has them on in the background and then i'm oh okay i'm, I'm, I'm a bystander well it's, it's hard not to get sucked in you're just like that would never happen oh yeah right <laughs> like oh wow that's super illegal what the cops just did there yeah yeah or like some of the way they have like people cross-examined or like you know whether or not there's an objection that's overruled and uh, no, but the best is is the is the crime where the police are investigating in these shows and they bring the person in and they get the confession, right. and I love those because it's so unreal. But okay, so you the know, public this is gets, where we're leading to. The public gets really upset about what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. which is when somebody confesses to something. Sometimes it's a false confession, but sometimes it's not necessarily a false confession. It's just not permitted. It's not admissible. For certain reasons. Yeah, so we're going to talk about a couple of things. And it's and, infuriating to the and public. And Liam's going to take us through somebody law. could confess and have it not be. But, so this is really important. So I'm going to do the pause, okay? So confessions or, or answers to questions by police in interviews are a pivotal aspect of a police investigation and sometimes in a trial. So there are rules with respect to what police can and cannot do when interviewing a person of interest or a suspect. And... Those answers form parts of trials, which can be confessions, result in convictions. If they're a false confession for some interesting reasons, that can lead to a wrongful conviction. And sometimes people will answer questions, and even though it's not a confession, the aspects of those answers can lead to important evidence for the Crown to use in their case which you might think are innocuous, but can lead to a conviction and sometimes to a wrongful conviction. And we're not saying that happens all the time. And my son always has the habit of calling he does, during the course of a f-ing podcast and is doing it again. Love you, Ben, but not right now. So let's talk about the law 
with respect to uh, interviews in Canada, the, the three main rules. Take us through that in a brief, somewhat academic way. Okay. So, three rules here to consider. We have the common law confessions rule, the right to counsel, and the right to silence, all of which are interrelated. So, common law confessions rule. Set down slowly. Okay. Yeah, you're talking like a lawyer, actually. <laughs> yeah, talk like you're drunk and just give it to us slowly. The common law confessions rule concerns itself with a statement made by the accused to a person in authority. What's what? a person in authority? A person in authority is generally speaking an officer, but not necessarily. Um, parents and social workers in different cases have been found to be people in authority. What about teachers? Uh, I, I Vice I, principal? Probably. Good answer. And, and, and the person and authority requirement is actually somewhat unique to Canadian law as well, which is uh, maybe on another episode sometime we can talk about Mr. Big investigations and sure. how, how that plays in. Um, but essentially the confessions rule is that when an inculpatory statement, meaning a statement that tends to implicate the accused in a crime, is made to a person in authority, the prosecution must prove that that statement was made voluntarily beyond a reasonable doubt. So, well, there was an interesting uh, recent case from the Supreme Court in which uh, the main question is, are you detained? So let's talk about what it is when somebody's a suspect and what about their rights under Section 10B of the Charter? What does that mean? Because I really want to, because the questions we got were so basic so let's break that down. What's our right in Canada? So your rights under Section 10 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, there is uh, two, 10A and 10B. 10A is the right to be informed of the reason for your arrest or detention without delay. And then Section 10B allows you, or no, requires you to be given the opportunity to retain and instruct counsel without delay. So the police have a positive obligation to tell you what the f*** you're being charged with, mm -hmm. okay? You get my punctuation here. And then to give you an informational component about what rights you have, mm -hmm. and then an impl implement implementational component to exercise that right. What does that mean? So they essentially need to tell you that you have the right to speak to a lawyer, and then they need to facilitate you being able to speak to that lawyer. And, and that aspect of the right takes on different different permutations based on the circumstances. So for instance, if it's evident to the police that the accused has a poor grasp of the English language, they might have a positive obligation to ensure that there is an interpreter, that they get the chance to speak to a lawyer who speaks that language. Um, if, for instance, the police officers have arrested you on the side of the road, they, they have an obligation to facilitate that uh, in terms of you speaking with counsel, and that generally means immediately. Now, exactly what immediately is, again, depends on the circumstances, but right. you need to be, you need to have the chance to speak to counsel before you are interviewed in any real way by the police. Okay, so let's just come circle back for one second. Sorry? I was going to do the same thing as like I have a comment on the Go on ahead. That issue. So one of the things they're not allowed to do is they're not allowed to undermine an accused person's uh, 
communications with their lawyer. So they can't say, don't trust your lawyer. Your lawyer probably told you something, but whatever. Yeah. So that's that's one of the uh, the areas where they, they can't actually do that. They can't undermine the legal advice that you've been given. Right. So just the reason I'm going through this is there are some interesting questions about what does all this mean. So if somebody is stopped by police and they're, psych they're detained, either psychologically or physically, they should be cautioned mm -hmm. and they should be given their rights to counsel. A caution is what? A caution is essentially uh, the police letting someone know that uh, you don't have to say anyone anything to them. Anything you say can and will be used. No, but this you. is important and this is funny. We get these questions. Do you have to speak to the police? Never. Good I actually point. like the, the phrasing of that, though. It, it always it kind of amuses me. Can and will be used against you. It's, it's such an assertive way of saying it. But that's appropriate. But it just can be used against you if it happens to go that way. But it can, and I'm pretty sure it will be used against you. Well, I mean, that's what the Americans say. The, uh, I know, but I, I like the wording of that because... Yeah. No, but the important part is that a caution, if you are being stopped and you are potentially a suspect in a criminal offense... So if the police officer has enough information where they reasonably should conclude that you're a suspect in a crime, then caution you. Yeah. And that caution must include that you have a right to not say anything to me as an officer, but if you do say anything, that can be used against you in a trial. That's a very important caution. Well, and that, that informs your ability to decide whether you want to speak to the police or not, because we have the right not to cooperate. Let's be f***ing clear about it. You have the right not to cooperate, and people get confused on that. Well, and that was one of the issues, actually, is that sometimes police go, well, I didn't actually, uh, we didn't actually charge the person, therefore they weren't being detained. And in this recent decision that came out of La France, um, they said, well, they were exercising a search warrant. Oh, that is totally... Uh, it's a type brand. of scotch. De definitely, definitely scotch. scotch. It's a type of scotch. Definitely scotch. <laughs> um, that uh, they said, oh, because he wasn't officially detained, that uh, they didn't have to give him rights to counsel and so on. And but they were exercising a search warrant, and in the conditions that that took place, being that uh, his whole house is being searched, and then he's being questioned by the police, they said, you know, it was reasonable for him to believe that he was being detained at the time. Mm -hmm. And that is, he was psychologically not understanding that he was free to refuse to answer questions. Okay, so I think it would be helpful because we've got these questions. And I know this may be a bit boring to everybody. And we've got a lot of case law here, which is sitting well, on my Well, before we lap. get into the boring stuff, can I just talk about something <laughs> kind of boring, exciting? Actually, it's very important. Mm -hmm. It is very important, but I want people to understand why it's so important. And, and also kind of connecting back to how people see things and get excited about things that they you know come across online or whatever. There was a, an amazing confession that was obtained by a detective who's quite celebrated. His name is Jim Smith, who got a confession from um, a colonel in the Canadian uh, forces named Russell, Russell Williams. Williams. And it's all over the internet. People have been watching this like a 10 hour video where he goes from just like being all cool and stuff like that to ultimately at the end, not only confessing to his crimes and telling them what other things he'd done, but leading them to the body and, and everything else. And the interview is actually very fascinating to watch and it was masterfully handled. 
Yeah, the right. officer did a fantastic yeah. job. By Officer Smith, the Detective Smith. With also an accused who probably ultimately wanted to confess. But I, I came across a really interesting other case with the exact same detective where the, where the confession, which was kind of a semi-confession, was actually not admissible in court. And this case... I find it really amusing because there's some cultural references that the judge, you know, goes to in terms of um, why it was that he, he felt some boundaries were crossed. So first of all, um, his Staff Sergeant Smith informs him that he has specialized knowledge. I'm an expert on this, right? And uh, he gives him two options. You're either a cold-blooded killer or you're just a nice guy who snapped and had a bad moment, mm-hmm. right? And that's a classic read technique of interrogations mm-hmm. as well for anyone who's watched some of the older episodes where that's been mentioned. He says, the crime has been solved. We already have all of this evidence and we know that you're the one who did it. And uh, <clears throat> so the judge says, the essential message is resistance is futile. And so this is my favorite paragraph. For Star Trek fans. Yeah. He, he, so, so I'm going to have to take my glasses off to read this. Yeah, this is an actual decision that's published online. Um, the notion of futile resistance is apt. One can hardly hear those words without being put in mind of the Borg portrayed in Star Trek, the it's next generation. Case. This is an actual judge's decision. That civilization was known to overwhelm and assimilate entire other civilizations. In stating its intent, the Borg collective always announced, resistance is futile. When I compare Staff Sergeant Smith's interview with the November 9th interview, 19th interview conducted by another detective I observe a great difference in his body language and so then he describes you know originally he's cooperating he's sitting forward he's engaged in the process and uh, and then when he's being interviewed by Sergeant Smith his, his demeanor and tone are um, you know completely different where he's moving away Smith gets in his personal space right and he's moving backwards as much as possible so we have this, but then he keeps going back to this whole resistance is futile, and he, and he goes through a number of different things that happened in the course of the interview, which he says essentially gave the message, resistance is futile. And I can't tell you what joy it gives me to see Star Trek Next Generation and the Borg mentioned But in what was decision. the result of that case? Um, so the, ultimately, they decided that the, um, that the interview was not admissible, that his, his statements were not admissible in court. Because it was a, a relentless, low-key though, very low-key. But he also engaged in some a number of behaviors, one of which um, asserted uh, that they had evidence that they did not have. And eventually it overcame the will of the accused. So we yeah. need to, you know, just, just to put this into perspective, we need a bit of an understanding of what the law is. So what are the three bases in which... Or what are the basis of which maybe statements can be excluded? Well, again, it depends on the rule that you're looking at. But in terms of voluntariness, yeah, something that comes across in the cases um, that I mean, I, I and and some judges have commented on is that while voluntariness is often made to sound like this very big, very difficult hurdle to overcome, in practice, it's actually pretty easy for the crown. What does voluntariness mean? Because nobody gets this, and and this is where we get questions. Voluntariness essentially means that you made the choice to speak to the police of your own free will. An informed choice. And you gave that inculpatory statement. Now, there's a couple of different things that the Supreme Court of Canada um, said about 
the voluntariness rule or the common law confessions rule in a, in a case from about 22 years ago now called Oikel, um, they pointed out that threats or promises are a classic item that will lead. So for example, um, things will go better for you. Right. I think that that's that would an probably... This is your only be. chance. This is your only chance to get your side Those of the Those are story. inducements. But let's go through this list so everybody gets it. Because we've had questions on this, so I just want to lay it out for them. Yeah. So for our viewers. Threats or promises, one way or the other. So, for instance, um, if you confess now, it will be... Uh, you will get a lighter sentence in court. That's what you're talking about. If you don't confess, I will beat you with this rubber hose. That's, that's also very much uh, a threat, which will make it involuntary. So inducements, threats. Oppressive conditions. Uh, for instance, in Oikel, they discussed another case where a gentleman was held naked in a cell for a couple hours, uh, and he only gave a statement to the police because he was under the impression that he'd get some more clothes in his cold cell in the middle of the night. Serious bad shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to have an operating mind, which is uh, a often misunderstood aspect of the rule uh, because all it really means is that you need to be aware that you are speaking, you are speaking to a police officer, and you're aware that the statements that you're making can be used against you. So essentially, unless you are actively psychotic, you will more than likely be found to have an operating mind. Or if there's a significant extremely uh, intoxicated or yeah or yeah you could be severely intoxicated which would which or a language barrier yep good point oh uh, yeah the uh and then other police trickery so talk about this for a moment because this is a so very good they can topic. get away with a lot of stuff yeah a ton of so, the officers are allowed to lie to you they're allowed to say we have your dna we have your fingerprints on the murder weapon that's that's so all. they're gonna say we have certain evidence to inculpate you, mm -hmm. but in essence, they don't. Yeah. Well, that was the in the case I was reading earlier with the Borg and such. Um, it was a, a sad case of a, a, a child that died. And they claimed that they had not only evidence of how, what caused the child to die, but they claimed to have evidence that this individual was responsible for doing it. And there was no such thing at all. So they're no allowed DNA. to trick he even you. Used, he even used the phrase... And the CS, CS, CSI? CAS? No, CSI. CSI. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, he even used CSI um, to claim, that, like, you Las know, everybody watches CSI. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy, oh he had God. cognitive difficulties, too, the, the accused person. So he's hearing all these things, and he's just, like, hearing DNA and CSI. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's just like, we already have everything. He's like, he goes, I don't want to give a statement. And he goes, I don't even need you to talk to me. We already have all the evidence. They hadn't. Absolutely no way to connect him. Yeah. To, Don't believe it. Yeah. But they're allowed well, to say that. we're not giving advice. But they're allowed to say that. Okay. With all due respect, what we're saying is what they're allowed to do. Yeah. And that type of trickery is, is allowed. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question? It's interesting. Because I get this stupid question asked to me in a number of forums. What about polygraphs? A, are they admissible as evidence in Canada? B, should you ever take one if offered by the police? I thought you said we weren't giving advice. <laughs> this isn't advice. This is on the law. Okay. Uh, so, no, they're not admissible, and that's since the 80s, I think. So, that's on the law. Yeah. 
They're, they're, they're just not admissible. So what would be the only reason to give a polygraph would be because you want to convince the police not to lay charges. Right. No. The only reason you want to give a polygraph is because you're a f***ing moron. Yes. Okay. Because they're flawed science. It's bullshit. It's set up to interrogate you for a view as a precast to the interview to get incriminating evidence. It is, it's an, it is a interview technique. It is not a technique to tease out whether you're lying or not. It's just f***ing bullshit. In a technical and because the results level, are unreliable, it's technically in law bullshit quotations. Mm -hmm. Yes. So not admissible. Don't fucking do it. It's an interrogation technique. That I can give evidence. We can give. Well, I actually read, was reading another case too, where the <clears throat> the person was given a, a seven minute polygraph and then told they failed, and they said, "So we now know you're guilty," and then they managed to. Try can I ask a question? I'm sorry. What if you have a client and the client says to the police 18, 19, 20 times during the course of a three, four, five hour interview, I want to speak to counsel. I don't want to answer your Same. questions. I don't want to answer your questions. I don't want to answer your questions. With respect, I don't want to answer. And they just keep going and going and going and going. What's the law about that? Uh, the law about that is uh, tough shit. Uh <laughs> They're allowed to do it. Yeah, no, they're absolutely that allowed to do that. That case drives me crazy. So, uh, Queen and Singh from 2007. That one, uh, the, the individual was charged with second-degree murder uh, with respect to a shooting that occurred, I forget, either just inside or just outside of a, a nightclub pub. in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and then there where like the... A stray bullet or something like that. Yeah. It was a stray bullet. Where, where, where the, when the accused was being interviewed... Uh, he, no, don't do that. Well, he's ah, stop. Mess with the sound. He <laughs> asserted his right to silence no less than eighteen times. This case eventually made its way up to the Supreme Court, and the question was: Has Mr. Singh's right to silence, which is embodied in Section Seven of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, been violated? And the majority said no. The right to silence is essentially contained within the accused as opposed to the right to counsel, which is in the hands of the police. The, Mr. Singh asserted his right to silence 18 times, and, and the police kept on interviewing him, and he eventually you made... Just give up, right? You think, well, how am I going to get out of the room? Well, that's the thing. Singh didn't actually give up. He made little tiny statements that identified himself in the pub that placed him in a certain place. And that went directly to the Crown's circumstantial case in proving murder. Right. He didn't. He didn't admit to the shooting, but he admitted to other things that let him that let the crown place him there. the The defense, I, I think, was actually uh, no, not the defense. The dissent in this case, written by Justice Morris Fish. Fish. Uh, who, who I really like Fish. Okay. You, From Quebec. And you yeah. can tell. You can tell that Fish was a defense lawyer. Uh, from from his, uh, but it's worth reading out because this is something that I I, I think is very important, mm -hmm. even though it's not well, the law. You don't just have rights; the rights have to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Well, here's why. Go ahead. So this is a good point. Per, uh, Justice Fish, at paragraph sixty-five of Singh uh, writes, "Quote: His interrogator systematically disregarded Mr. Singh's wish to remain silent." The more he did so, the stronger the interrogator's message to Mr. Singh that, again, to bring it back to the Borg, that continued resistance was futile. Any further assertion by Mr. Singh of his right to silence would likewise be frustrated, merely prolonging the agony of his interrogation. Can you put a Borg cube when we're talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> Just rotating in the lower corner. We are the Borg. So it renders your ability to resist meaningless. Yeah. Right? To say, yeah. I want to... 
assert my right to silence. And no matter how many times you say it, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 times, it's meaningless. You can just keep going on and on and on. That's it. I think, although it's set a law, it remains in my mind to be something controversial. I have seen a, a, an effective defense, though. And actually, I was laughing out loud reading this, the, the police trying to get a statement from, from this particular individual. And you just go, uh, I'll tell you about avocado oil and its health benefits. <laughs> but <laughs> And every time he's just like, no, I already told you I'm not going to talk about that. But it, I'd like to tell you more about avocado oil. <laughs> It's, it was brilliant. <laughs> and, and like, I'll, I'll say... Focus um, on something else, something that you actually do want to talk about. That was a more alert accused. With respect to all these cases, though, it there, there is an opportunity for us as defense counsel to intervene. Because we know that no matter what, if you say... If you say that I don't want to speak to you, I would like to exercise my right to remain silent for 18 or 180 times, the police don't have to listen to that. But... What you can do is you can advise your client on other ways to get around that, you know? Avocado oil. Avocado oil. Pretend well, to be asleep. But, you know, here's an interesting <laughs> issue, and we're talking about this in the abstract. At what time does this become oppressive? Well, uh, th th again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's, it's relatively difficult to find oppression. How many hours? How many hours? I mean, in... Right now, there's no limit. Yeah. Seeing it was four or five, I think, and similar with Sinclair, which is another another Supreme Court of Canada case that we may eventually get to. Well, and I think we kind of slightly covered this, but but one of the biggest problems that I've seen repeatedly being the most successful grounds of, of blocking out um, things that and people end up saying was, if you're told this is your only chance, mm -hmm. this is your only chance to tell your side of the story, and, you know. I'm sure that uh, I know there's always two sides to the story and, you know, things don't look good for you right now. I mean, the, 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 everything indicates that you're this horrible monster. This is your only chance to really tell you. If you go to court, you know, things but are going to go well for you. Let's keep in mind Justice Fish's comments and he's no longer on the Supreme Court of Canada, sadly. He aged out. Yeah. He had some really great decisions. Yeah. And God bless sense. him. But, you know, the accused asserted his right to silence unequivocally 18 times. The accused was imprisoned throughout his interrogation and was under the total control of the police. The officer understood very well that the accused had chosen not to speak with the police, but nonetheless disregarded the accused's repeated assertions of his right to silence. The accused was thus deprived not only of his right to silence, but also collaterally of the intended benefit of his right to silence and right to counsel. At the very least, the officer's conduct unfairly frustrated the accused's decision on whether to speak to the police, a choice that has to be, sorry, a choice that has been disregarded and unfairly frustrated by relentless interrogation is neither free nor meaningful. So the idea is... Meaningful and, is and, the point. And, and here's the point. The right and has to be meaningful. This resonates a little bit in some other cases recently in 21-22, that there has to be meaningfulness to these rights. So what he's saying is, if an accused says 18 times, I want to remain silent, your right has no more meaning. Yeah. Because it just If the police stop. ignore it. You just, they, you they just come to the belief that it's never going to end, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to do something different because clearly I'm not getting out of this room. And this is never going to end unless I capitulate and, and do what they're telling me to. 
Okay, so let's let's cover a couple other topics about you know interviews. So let's talk about Sinclair for a moment. Sinclair. That's a, a Supreme Court of Canada case from 2010, mm-hmm. and where the accused has a consultation with a lawyer, but partway through the interview requests to speak to a lawyer, and is not allowed. Mm-hmm. Is that like real? It's real. Uh, recently modified uh, as of I think. Uh, it's November now, so about three months ago, yeah. I think. Um, but you're right. So what, what uh, Sinclair set out, uh, one, one of the big issues in Sinclair was whether or not you have a right to have counsel present uh, with you in an interview in, uh, in Canada. And the answer is no. Um, we don't have the, for any of our American viewers, we don't have the same kind of Miranda rights in uh in canada from the case of miranda good point versus arizona i believe right so we, we don't get an opportunity to be in the interview mm-hmm. that's and important for people to understand yeah that's you can talk to a lawyer but they can't actually ask me about that. yeah but they can't actually you be can there talk to you. a lawyer by phone but we can't be involved in the interview in the police interview room supposedly for the reason perhaps correctly that we'd shut the whole thing down and frankly, it doesn't leave enough time for a retainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Kidding. But, uh, but, but this is an important point because we get asked this a lot. Mm-hmm. So We can't be there. No, yeah. we can't be there. Uh, that's uh, that's and what... And don't take your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. take your phone. <laughs> Do not take your phone to an interview. <laughs> not time giving legal advice, but go ahead. Um, so what, what Sinclair said is that... Uh, you essentially, your right to counsel under Section 10B of the Charter is fulfilled by a brief consultation, a single brief consultation, but... With a lawyer. With a lawyer, yes, indeed. Um, be careful, let's no, make sure usually just, yeah. you know, duty counsel or whoever is available on there. Well, it could be duty counsel, that's, that's fine. They can give very good advice. Mm-hmm. Again, shut up, shut the f*** up. Uh, <laughs> right on. I'm so happy you swore. Yeah, no, I uh, I wrote that. It was like the... I like how he swears and he was like this little it's tiny... It's a tiny prop. Oh, give me, give me. Give... Good. Yeah, that shut the hurt. up. Um, shut the f*** up. Yeah, no, shut the f*** up. Like, in fact, that was one of the uh, points that was raised in, Adorable. I think, Justice Benny's dissent, uh, that if you only get the one consultation with the lawyer, then you can effectively uh, fulfill the right to counsel with a phone message. Uh, You have reached counsel. Keep your mouth shut. Press one to repeat this message. (laughs) That was the Criminal Lawyers Association uh, intervention (laughs) on that case. Press one to repeat this message. So, anyway, three three instances wherein you may be entitled to a further consultation with counsel. One, the adoption of non-standard techniques. So, if the officers say... Uh, I'd like you to take a polygraph, which is, again, as uh, see a, couple, a few minutes ago, uh, it's a trick. Uh, or, uh, more legitimately, would you like to take part in a photo lineup? You are entitled to a further consultation with counsel. Or, um, do you, can we get a DNA test? Again. What about, what about a change in your jeopardy? A change in your jeopardy. That, that's where I was going yeah, next. There has that's to be a two. change in your circumstances. Exactly. So if over the course of the interview, it becomes clear that maybe uh, the police now want to charge you with an additional offense, such as forcible confinement, which is important if like in a murder investigation that could elevate murder from second degree to first degree, um, then again, you have a further 
chance to consult with counsel. And then the final one, which has mo most recently been expanded by the Supreme Court in the case of uh, Queen and La France, is yeah. an indication that the accused does not understand their rights. Expand on that a bit, because that was very interesting in La France. So in La France, what happened, we were talking about it a little bit earlier. Um, a young man was awoken at 6.50 a.m. by a gaggle of police officers. Gaggle. 11 officers show up in Mr. LaFrance's house to execute a search warrant. Um, the detention issue, it, it, it's important, and I know I'm going to be tucking the case in my back pocket for yeah, any yeah. detention cases, but it, it, it doesn't really go to the 10B issue. So, Mr. LaFrance... Sorry, just 10B. 10B, again, right to counsel. Um, so... Mr. LaFrance, after the execution of the warrant, about a couple weeks later, was charged... A with, warrant for what? Uh, a warrant, a search warrant in relation to a murder. Okay, but his home was yes. searched. Yes. Okay, so he's at home, he's woken up. It's hard to believe that you could have a warrant to search somebody's home without having a warrant for their arrest at the same time. I just find This is strange. why I'm raising this. Yeah. He was not arrested. It was a warrant to search his home. He was detained during the warrant because you can't f around with your house. And they searched his home and then left with whatever evidence they had. Okay? This is really important, guys, because we got questions about this, so we want to break it down. And this is an interesting case. So go ahead. So search warrant executed, accused detained during the search. You already had your no personal evidence. space violated by officers right. who have a warrant issued by a to court. To search your home. Yeah. Go ahead. And... A couple weeks later, Mr. LaFrance is formally charged with murder. And then he is subjected to a police interview. He's arrested. He's arrested. He's charged with murder. Um, and sort of besides the point, but when you're charged with murder, you, you will be going to jail uh, from the police station. That's, there's normally, there's a presumption it's of bail. It's not a walkthrough. <laughs> there's no, like, you don't get released on, like, an undertaking. No, you, you specifically can't be. It's uh, the Justice of the Peace actually has no discretion and must detain you. Criminal code, you are detained on a murder. Yes. You have to apply for your release. Indeed. Now, Mr. LaFrance has a brief conversation with duty counsel. He then proceeds into the interview. Part way through the interview, uh, Mr. LaFrance asks to call his father and makes it clear that he, he says something to the effect of, I need to call my dad because that's the only way that I'm going to get a lawyer. And the officer says, you can't call your dad, uh, and you already spoke to a lawyer, effectively, and presses forward, Mr. LaFrance eventually confesses. Now, once we get up to the Supreme Court, question, was Mr. LaFrance's statement obtained contra his Section 10b right to counsel? And the majority of the Supreme Court says yes, because when Mr. LaFrance said that I need to call my father, he's the only way I'm going to be able to get a chance to speak with, to, to, to get a lawyer, that was, that ought to have been a flag to the officer. Mr. LaFrance does not understand his rights. In fact, That's uh, right. the, the officer, Sergeant Eros, which is uh, the Greek, Greek god of love, Cupid, uh, Sergeant yeah. Eros, very good. There's so much it's more your, to this guy your, than I knew. Your backup degree. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Mythology. So Sergeant Eros at one point even goes as, to far, as far as saying, as I think you got bad advice or, or something to that effect, which again, should have been a flag to the officer. 
maybe this person I'm interviewing doesn't understand his rights, I am constitutionally... I I, want to interject for a second because I suspect that a lot of people listening to this don't care. Don't care because they're saying this guy confessed to a murder. I don't care whether it was obtained properly or not. They think his confession absolutely is, is integral. How can we not accept the fact that the guy the guy confessed to something and it's a murder. So this is what I think the normal public is thinking right now. Why should I care about the technicalities? And this is why there's like a lot of hatred towards the law and the justice system because and defense lawyers. They find out no, well they find out that somebody confesses to something, but we can't convict them because of some technicality. So yeah. talk about so that. So here's my f-ing answer. All right. Okay. Here's my answer. Would you like to live in Russia right now? Yeah. The technical. So explain. The- no, explain it though. Slow down. Slow down, Joseph. Pause. <laughs> I can't. Pause. Go back. Repeat what you're saying. Um, Would you like? You need to, to explain live to in people. In a closed society like what, Russia. What I've said or before. Other societies that don't give a flying. Is that other people's rights are your rights. rights? We have right now. Right now, a parliamentary inquiry into the use of the emergency act yeah because they use the emergency act to remove people from ottawa i i don't want to go there all right I people from ottawa and from the uh windsor yeah. border it's about power no. of the state yes but just do we want a society where the government has all authority and there's no checks to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want? Because the minute you remove rights of an accused about statements given to police, search and seizure. Under harsh conditions, mm-hmm. misleading conditions. No, but we're talking about basic yeah. fundamental rights. Mm-hmm. Search and seizure, arbitrary detention, security of person. All those rights, you remove that, we become a closed society. And we become Russia. Or God forbid, we go back in time to what it was when in the Second World War era, governments who wanted to take over removed the rule of law. Mm -hmm. So don't ask for something you don't really want. It's not a f***ing joke. But they never think it's going to affect them is the problem. Nobody ever thinks that they Well, we have people who just said in the last year or year and a half, and elected a, a leader of the Conservative Party based on, let's make Canada the freest place in the world with no f-ing meaning to it, not understanding what the f*** that means. But at a core, there's a sense of a loss of freedom, okay? But when it comes to criminal law, we can take any individual, black, white, Jewish, non-Jewish, Chinese, what the f- ever the accused is, but you should not have a right when it comes to your confession. Right? Your confession should be admissible no matter what. But if it's a confession, it's a confession. Is what the public... I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. That's just f***ing bullshit. We have a rule of law. Either we do or we don't. You want freedom? Yeah, it comes at a cost. Because we do want to convict innocent people of anything. We have to check government policy and their action and their rules. That's what it is about. When it comes to our system, so so I, I think we're in agreement here. It's the power dynamic. So is yeah. it conf- is it is it yeah? Confession? He's talking about that. Is a confession an actual confession or is it something coerced? It can be false. It can be coerced. 
It can be non-coerced, right. but manipulated. So There's so many rules about it. And even if it's not, we're, as defense lawyers, we're here to make God, sure... God, you're not as passionate as me. I'm, <laughs> I'm measured. I'm measured. Okay. As defense lawyers, uh, we're here to make sure that, no, everyone's rights are protected, whether they be innocent or guilty. And how, the, like the question, how can you defend a guilty person? And, and this isn't mine. This is from an anonymous uh, Twitter user in the oh, UK, wow. the secret barrister. How, oh, how, he's great. Oh, it's unclear. It's unclear that he's a he. Yeah. Um, but no, he's a he. How can you defend a guilty person? Answer: Because we don't know if they're innocent. You know, we're we're here not just for our clients, but we're here for everyone. We're here to uphold. And we don't judge people. No, it's if we have a defense bar that judges individuals before they have a right to trial, we're. F as a society. Yeah, well, just to clarify, like what I was saying about how the public would perceive this stuff and it was like, and it angers you and so on. But the, the, the thing is that- No, it doesn't anger me. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. It's very- uh, A little vain, like- Well, that's very exciting. Apparently my, my dermatologist <laughs> says I have, red, my, I have red skin. Is that right? I just, I'm just More generally, so I'm just generally veiny. With Maybe the, with the anger scotch. and the scotch. Yeah. But the the public sees things and just like we we've talked before in the past about the death penalty and how more than 50%, shockingly more than 50% of Canadians support the death penalty. Yeah, some asshole they commented that like, you know, the majority of the population want the death penalty. Yeah. You're wrong, Mr. Newberger. I'm like, no. We have to be better than that. You're a f an idiot. Joe still gets hung up on YouTube. Comments. And when you, when you when you get into and like Twitter. when you get into somebody <laughs> having made a confession, whether that confession was actually voluntary or true, or it was something coerced, or because of like you know mm -hmm. difficult circumstances. Even if the of confession is freezing. true, but if it's coerced and against the rules of confessions, mm -hmm. okay, and our 10B rights or our voluntariliness rights. It needs to be excluded and, and, because but, the state can't have that power So and, and, because it can be abused. And, and th this is kind of a parallel point, but the, the test for exclusion of evidence in Canada, and I'm not going to get right into it, but what it comes down to in the end is, would the admission of this evidence bring the administration of justice into disrepute. Yeah, they're going to all understand that. Well, Can you no. explain that okay. to me? So, <laughs> in plain words. Because, like, they give a shit. If we let this evidence in, can can our justice system look itself in the mirror and say that I'm an, uh, like it's an effective justice system? And if the answer is no, then you throw it out. Yeah, but beauty's in the eye to be, in, in the eye beholder. Like it's it's not just about no, really. It's not just about murder cases though, because you know, people no, feel passionate about cases. people feel passionate about murder cases. But it can come down to anything like a fraud case or some some or sort sex of like, assault that we do. You know, a theft Mr. Smith, or like that. it's your opportunity to what tell us rights? to tell us what happened. Do you want to apologize? Like you're not a like I don't believe that you're you're this monster. Yeah. Like. You know, here's your opportunity to tell us. Court decisions, and this is why I fell in love with the law, they have to apply equally to every case. And sometimes case That's law right. comes into, um, you know, submissions, you know, in court as to what can be made of evidence. That It might be a case completely disconnected from what you're talking about, but the logic, the logic and the principles and the rights have to apply across the board to everybody. So people yeah. get passionate about murder cases, but we have to remember decisions even when it can be an emotional thing where you feel like i don't feel it's right that this person can get away with what i think they're getting away with 
You have to protect your legal system, I think is the point. To if we made. do not protect the integrity of our legal system, of the criminal justice system and the rules of evidence. And the limitations on the state. We are lost as a society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't want to become a police state. And we see this happening out in other jurisdictions. Thank you, Liam. Great discussion. Diana, thank you. Drink. Like, subscribe, hit notifications. And drink. And donate a bottle of scotch. <laughs>